Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your Oh, 
you. How many of you guys know that, you know, Jesus always gets the final say? Amen. Amen. So you always got to remember that, you know, 
Just because a doctor tells you something, that's not the gospel. He's not come on. God. Come on. We don't have to come into agreement with that. Amen? Yes, yes. We have a higher authority. We have a greater physician. And none of us are going home until Jesus said it's time. Yes. Amen? Amen? Dear Lord, thank you. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you that you are still on the throne, Lord. We thank you that you are in control, Lord. And so, Lord, we just... We just give this service to you today. And Lord, I, th I, I just say, have your way. Do great and mighty things among us, Lord. May, may we declare as a redeemed people of God, may, may we declare that there is indeed a God in heaven, Lord. May your light shine from, from this sanctuary today. Lord, I pray that anybody walking in here, Lord, with any type of darkness, I pray the light would, would blow the darkness out, Lord. I pray for just deliverance from your presence here today, Lord. I thank you that there is freedom in this house. I thank you that there is joy in this house, Lord. I thank you that greater things are going to happen in this house, in this city, in our lives, in our country. We claim it in Jesus' name. And somebody shout amen. Amen.
Surrounded by 
faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness in our lives, Lord. This is personal, Jesus. You've been so faithful. We lift our eyes to you, Jesus. You set our minds on things above. You've seated us in heavenly places. Lord, we come to give you honor. We come to give you praise. To worship you in spirit and in truth, God. We say no to the things of this world. We say no to the things of flesh, God. Our hearts, our flesh cry out for the living God. We're hungry for you, Lord. We want to be still and know. Have your way, Lord. Have your way in our lives, in our souls. We just want to honor you, God. We don't have to sing. We don't have to do anything, Lord. You love us, God. We rest in your peace. We welcome your love.
guys may be seated. Great job, worship team. Our AV team, good job. Thank you, guys. We're going to go ahead and we're going to continue in worship. We're going to take today's offering. 
If I could have the ushers come forward. The book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11, verse 1 says, Cast your bread upon the waters, or you will find it after many days. And it's sort of this idea that I give from a generous heart, not necessarily looking for anything back to just say, you know what, I I'm just going to give this to you, Lord. And I know you're going to do something great with it. You know, it, it's, it's one of those just awesome things that, you know, when you walk with the Lord, I mean, I, I don't know why people think it's boring. I mean, you just never know what's going to happen. But, you know, like even when we started doing just a whole thing with Hope for the Streets, we were only able to do that really fast because you guys gave we had enough money to do it we had enough money to buy the things that we needed that's all from your giving and we're still working a harvest through that we have a youth camp coming up we're charging them $30 that's definitely not what it's going to cost just to feed them <laughs> much less activities gas or anything else but like who knows what seeds are going to be planted when they're in that youth camp like, this could be that life-changing experience for those kids. We have a VBS coming up. I mean, we have the fall. So many amazing things are coming up. The, the recovery program, opening up Hope's Haven. Who knows what God's going to do with these things? And you just give. The Bible says that your, your money's like a seed and you sow into his kingdom. And not only does it go to produce a harvest, it'll produce a harvest in your own life. And you won't know where it, where it came from. I, I can't tell you, all week long, I just hear stories of people saying, yeah, you know, I, I didn't know how I was going to get my car fixed. And then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the mechanic just told me, don't worry about it. Or, you know, I found this, that I, I, was, I didn't have any food in my house. Somebody just rang my bell and said, hey, God told me to drop this off. Like, that's how God works. That's God's economy. So just be willing to give and trust him and say, Lord, I'm just going to cast my bread upon the waters and I'm just going to, I'm going to see what happens. Lord, thank you. Thank you for all the people that are here today. Thank you for the mission that you have for us. Thank you for the vision, Lord, and I thank you for the provision, Lord. So I just pray, Lord, that you would take every seed that is given, that you would multiply it in your kingdom. And according to your word, you would take that seed and multiply it back to the giver to produce a harvest so that they might have an abundance for every good work, Lord. We thank you that you are good, that you are a provider, that you are, uh, that you are the God of more than enough, El Shaddai. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Evan. I appreciate that. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? I, I was listening to this uh, guy speak yesterday, and he would say, got it? And everybody would be like, got it? And he'd be like, good. It's like just emblazoned in my head. It was just the corniest thing, you know? He's kept, he'd say, got it? And everybody would be like, got it? And he'd be like, good. Jeez, man. But it's like one of those things, like one of them dumb songs that sticks in your head and just gets stuck in there and you can't get it out. You're like, please, get this song out of my head. 
Hey, I, I wanted to start, we're starting a new series today called The Pursuit of Happiness. The Pursuit of Happiness. And um, in the United States Declaration of Independence, which I hope everybody knows what that is. I, I, watched, a, I watched a reporter named Savannah Hernandez, and she was going out and she was interviewing all these people, asking them what the Declaration of Independence was. And it was like all these college-age people, and like none of them knew like what it even was, like where we declared our independence from. So it was scary. I was like, wow, you know, like... These people don't know anything, but um, the Declaration of Independence, of course, the, what our founding fathers wrote to declare America's independence from the throne of England, it starts like this. It says that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So according to the founding fathers of the United States, one of the, the rights that is given to us by God is to pursue happiness. And, and in America, I mean, you've got a lot of freedoms and there's a lot of things that you can do to pursue happiness, to kind of whatever you think will make you happy. You can... You can marry who you want. I mean, assuming they also want to marry you. I mean, that's kind of the caveat. You know, you can date whoever you want, assuming they want to date you. But, but you know, for the most part, you know, you can go out with, with who you want. You can, you can start a business. You're free to do that in America, any kind of business. You can live where you want in America. If it's too hot there, then... You can move to a colder climate. If you don't like that, you can move. You want to live by a mountain. You want to live by a beach. You can live wherever you want. You want to live in a big city. You want to live in a, out in the country with no neighbors. You, you can do that too. But here's the thing. Despite all the things that, that we can do to pursue happiness in America, I don't think that most people are happy. There was, a, there was a poll that uh, the organization, the polling organization named Gallup did a poll. And they said that less than 38% of the people polled said that they were happy. Said that they were satisfied with life. So that's less than 4 out of 10 people said they were happy. That means like between 6 and 7 people are unhappy, right? That's, that's the majority. Prescriptions for antidepressants continue to rise year after year. And so if we've been given this right from God to pursue happiness, but yet nobody's happy, we have to ask ourselves why. Could it be that people are just looking for, that, that people are looking for happiness in the wrong places? They're not, they're not looking for for happiness in the same way that Jesus said happiness would come. Even the way that a lot of churches preach, it's basically directed at using your faith to achieve the same things that the people want in the world that they think will be happiness. The only difference is, is we just put Jesus in there. So the bigger house, the bigger business, the more money, the nicer car, if we do that, then we'll be happy. 
but people aren't happy. Could it be that, that happiness doesn't come from without, it doesn't come from things, it doesn't come from possessions, it doesn't come from titles, but happiness is actually something that is found within us? That, that's basically what Jesus taught, and like most teachings of Jesus, it's total, totally opposite of basically everything that we've been taught. Totally countercultural to everything that, that we think would bring happiness. And what we're going to look at is we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount. If you guys didn't know, this painting that's up above me is supposed to be a depiction of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it begins with these statements, these declarations called the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are actually listed on the left and the right. Just don't look up too long. You might catch a paint chip in the mouth. And we don't want nobody to sue us for eating paint chips. But so we have the, the, the Sermon on the Mount. And this is Jesus' most extensive teaching on what the culture of the kingdom is supposed to look like. If we are Christians, then we should be different than people who are non-Christians. Amen. We're not just like them, but we have a fish bumper sticker. Right? That, that's not the distinctive marks of a Christian. We should be different. Jesus did not come to build the greatest religion in the world called Christianity. He didn't come to build a religion. He came to build a kingdom. And, and a kingdom, to have a kingdom, you need three main things. You need to have a king. We know who that is. The king of kings and the lord of lords. A kingdom needs to have laws. And a kingdom also has to have culture. So Jesus uh, gets baptized in water at the river Jordan. John the Baptist declares, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The Holy Spirit descends on him. He's, he, he's filled with the Spirit without measure. Then he's tempted out in the wilderness for 40 days. And then after coming out of the wilderness with power, he begins to build his church. He begins to pick his disciples. And he picks his disciples and, and he gets his disciples that he would do life with and then other people start to follow him. And then what they do is he leads them up on a mountain. He sits down as would be the tradition of a rabbi who was about to teach. He sits down and he begins to teach about what the culture of the kingdom of God is all about. So... The reason that, that I call this series the pursuit of happiness is that where the declarations, the beatitudes that we're going to be looking at for the next few weeks, they all start in the same way. They all start with blessed are. This one that we're going to look at today is blessed are the poor in spirit. You can see again and again the statement begins with, with, with blessed are. And, and th that phrase in the Beatitude, it, it implies a current state of, of happiness or, or well-being, but it's greater than something that the world brings because it's actually 
divine, divinely inspired joy and perfect happiness. In, in other words, you could say uh, divinely happy and fortunate are those who possess these inward qualities. Be attitude, to, to, to be and have these attitudes as part of our very being is what is supposed to bring us happiness. And those happiness is not to determine by our outward circumstances. So let, let's read again the first one, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. It said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I ask for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to deliver your word. Lord, I pray that you would help me to be clear. I pray that you would give the people hearts to receive, ears to hear. Lord, I pray that we would truly be a different people. A, a people who would reflect your culture into the world. That we wouldn't be overtaken by the culture of the world, but we would bring your culture into the world. Help us to be the salt and light. Give us wisdom, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. For a lot of years, I, I chased happiness. Yet I was never happy. But I felt like if I just achieved that one, there was always one thing. If I just got that, then I would be happy. But it's just, you know, it's just like being a kid. You know, you think, man, if I just get this one toy. You know, you're thinking about this toy. You're like, man, if I just get that one toy, life will be good. You get the toy. Two hours later, you're bored with it. You don't want to play with it anymore. And it's like, it, it's fleeting. Well, I feel like I was like that. Like from the time I, I was like in junior high and, and high school, you know, I thought maybe, you know, if, if I was successful in sports, if I was a sports star, then I would be happy. And the most popular sport was, was football. But at 135 pounds, you know, I wasn't exactly this hulking behemoth of a man. And so, you know, football wasn't really my thing. And in high school, I was just too skinny. I mean, I worked out, I ate, but I mean, I was just one of those people. I mean, like my daughter, Taylor, can eat everything. And I mean, she just gains no weight. I was like that too. So, you know, nevertheless, football didn't really bring me too much happiness. And then I thought, you know what, maybe... If I'm popular, I could hang out with the cool kids. I could be with the in crowd. And then that would bring me happiness. And fitting in meant drinking. And fitting in meant doing drugs. And, you know, you start getting into that. And you think like, okay, well, this will bring me happiness. Like, look how cool I am. Look how much I can drink. Look how big of joints I can rule. You know, don't you, aren't you impressed by me? And like, and, it, and it's just all stupid. You know, it, it doesn't bring you anything. And then that, that brought me in contact with drug dealers. And I can remember one guy in particular. He, he drove around. He had, a, he, he had a, a, a Mercedes. He always had the nicest cars. He had a Lincoln. He had a Mercedes with these big rims. He had an Acura with gold rims. I mean, 
just amazing cars. Everybody wanted to be with him. Everybody wanted to hang out with him. And I said, you know what? Maybe if I can, maybe if I become a drug dealer and I start getting money, then, then people want to hang out with me. And, and then that's what will bring me happiness. I can, be, I can become the biggest dealer. And how many know that that's all a mirage anyway? You end up addicted. You end up, you have no friends because you're totally paranoid because you think, Everybody's going to snitch on you. It's a terrible, terrible life. But, but you have this mirage that if I just get that, then I'll be happy. And, and then I decided that, you know what, I, I'll, join, I'll join the army. I'll join the army. I, I'll get out of here. I'll start a career. I'll be a soldier. I'll, I'll be all I can be. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll never come back to Ambridge ever again. I'll leave. I'll never come back. And then that way, maybe... I'll be happy. But I remember sitting, uh, and, and I, I pursued everything that you could do, everything that, that, that would make a, a quote-unquote good soldier. I was all in. I was all in about it. But I could see that in the barracks where we lived, all these old first sergeants and NCOs had been divorced like three times, were bad alcoholics, living in the barracks all by themselves, totally miserable. I'm like, okay, well, like, I don't know if this is the route to happiness. And then got married, had a baby, came out, started thinking like, well, you know what? I, I have a child now. I need to maybe start thinking about building wealth. And maybe if I get rich, then I'll be happy. How do people get rich? Well, you know, they get in real estate and they had all these late night infomercials, right? No money down and you know, become a real estate millionaire with no money and all this. And I would buy these courses and, and go to these classes. And then I started doing it. And I started actually buying property, you know, with no money down. And, you know, if you remember the whole mortgage crisis that happened because, you know, they were given like bad loans. They were loaning out, you know, 100000 on properties that were worth 50000 And it was all a leak. I mean, I was totally part of that. Like, I was like... I was totally part of that system. We had mortgage brokers. Everybody was in on it. Appraisers, mortgage brokers, right? Crashed the whole financial system. But what happened is I just, I, I didn't end up wealthy. I ended up in massive amounts of debt, way over my head. I wasn't happy then at all, sitting in front of a bankruptcy attorney. Like, hey, you know, do you think I can get out of this? Telling, you know, Sherry wouldn't even go. She's like, we're not filing bankruptcy. I was like, you don't understand, like, I, we're done. Like, we're way over our head. I don't know what's going to happen. And by God's grace, you know, we were, able to, we were able to fight our way out of it. I was working at the post office, doing stuff at the church, delivering pizza in the evening to try to make enough money so that we could get out of debt. You know what? By God's grace, we, we, we got out of debt. But, but it was all these things that I was chasing that I thought would bring me happiness and it was like I felt like I was like that uh that man in a desert walking around and you're dying of thirst and then you kind of see this you know that this picture of like palm trees and like water and you're like water and you chase it and it's like a mirage doesn't bring you any kind of any kind of happiness at all it was only one day 26 years old sitting in a small church in Moon Township that all of a sudden I I felt, and I, I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit for the very first time. I, I saw the light kind of came down from heaven, and I just broke at that point because I realized that my whole life I've been, I, I was trying to take all this stuff 
and, and fit it in this God-shaped hole that was in my heart, like trying to take money and, and prestige and, and this and that, and trying to fit it in my heart, thinking it would satisfy me when the only thing that would ever satisfy was that true relationship with God. I mean, during those times and with those things, I would have temporary periods of happiness, temporary times of, but, but I had no peace and I, and I really had no joy. But, but, but when I got to know, when I got encountered by, by Jesus, all of a sudden I felt a peace that I never felt before. I felt a presence that, that I never felt before. And I, and I started going to, to church and I started trying to learn the Bible and I didn't know anything. I had no basis in the Bible and I, I just began going to all the Bible studies I could and I realized something. I had to deprogram a whole bunch of stuff that I had been taught my whole life. Taught by teachers. Taught by relatives. Taught, I had to take all that stuff and, and, and empty it all out so that I could pick up the teachings of Jesus. Because how many of you know that you can know Jesus but not do the things that Jesus taught. Got quiet here in this Presbyterian church. Jesus said that it is the man who hears his teaching and does them, then he's like the one who builds his house on the rock. The storm may come, the winds may come, the rain may come, but because you build your life on the rock, that is, you build your life on the teachings of Jesus, that when the storm come and the rain comes, you will not fall. Amen. That's what we call the blessed life. That's what we call the blessed life. And to be blessed means that I have a joy and I have a peace that is not determined by the wind and the rain or the, the storms going on around me. I'm not up one minute, down one minute, up one minute, down one minute, up one minute, down one. That's not, that's not the life that God called us to live. So how do we live a blessed life? Well, we read that very first line in a sermon on the mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I don't know about you. But when I see blessed are the poor, I struggle with that. Because I don't think being poor is a blessing. I mean, if you've ever had your car repoed, if you've ever been evicted out of a place, if you've ever had the phone ringing because it's debt collectors and you can't pay your bills, that's not much of a blessing. So when I first read that, blessed are, are the poor, I struggle. But you know what? I started thinking about it. What, what if there are some blessings with being poor? You know, we, we talk, I talked the past couple weeks about doing um, a, a homeless outreach out in California. And one of the things that I think a lot of us struggle with is the fact that some homeless people are good with that lifestyle. Like you're trying to help them and like they're okay. Like they want to live like that. Some people are down and out. Some people, it's temporary. But some people want to live like that because, like, if you think about it, like, if you're homeless, like, you don't have any attachments to the outside world. 
Like, you don't have to worry about paying your rent. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have no rent to pay. You don't have to worry about paying your mortgage. If you don't have a car, you don't have to worry about putting gas in it or maintaining it or, or getting car insurance. You don't have to worry about any of that. You don't, you don't have to worry about your boss being mean to you at work because you don't go to work. If you want to sleep all day, you can sleep all day. If you want to stay up all night, you can stay up all night, right? You, you don't, you're, you're kind of unattached from everything that, that, that the world has. There's even people who, you know, they're not going to the extreme of, you know, living homeless, but, but they're trying to live a simpler lifestyle. Like, God's given them a grace to, to live simply, right? They call it minimalist living, right? To minimize the, the stress and the bondage that sometimes the world puts on you. I mean, how many people have you met that says that they can't come to church because they got, I got to work on Sunday. I got to work on Sunday. I can't come to church. Well, why don't you call off? Well, you know, it's time and a half. Time and a half that day and I got to pay my bills. I got my electric bill, my gas bill. I... There, there's, a, there's a stress there from the world. But, but the reason I'm saying all this is because, like, if we're not careful, we can actually be in church, go to church, talk to Christian lingo, but our life decisions and choices are much more decided by worldly thinking and, and bondages than seeking God to ask Him, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to live? Where do you want me to work? Who should I talk to today? You know, living a Christian life isn't just about adding Jesus to all the stuff that you're already doing. It's totally dying to your old ways, your old self. The Bible says that when Jesus was crucified, that when we put our faith in him, that our old man was crucified with Christ. It means dying to ourself, dying to our old ways of living. And, and just as Jesus rose from the grave, we live a totally different new lifestyle called the resurrected life of Jesus. And being poor in the spirit means that we acknowledge that without God, we'll mess everything up. Just as our example of, of a homeless people being, a, a homeless person being unattached from the bondages of the world, being poor in the spirit means that I'm not going to be attached to the bondages of this world when it comes to making my decisions. That I decide that, that in myself, that in my flesh, that there's nothing good that dwells within me. And if I'm left on my own, I'm going to mess things up. And there's every part of my life I need Jesus. Not just for the two hours coming to church on Sunday, but when I wake up, I need Jesus. When I go to sleep, I need Jesus. I need Jesus everywhere in between. I, I need Jesus to, to order my steps. I need Jesus in my business. I need Jesus to be at my work. I need Jesus to be a good father, a good grandfather. I need Jesus to be a good husband, a good wife. I need Jesus to relate to all the people in this crazy world. I need Jesus to build wealth. I need Jesus to understand everything that is happening around me.
I need Jesus to be the captain of the ship of my life because I know what it is to be the captain of my own ship and I know what it is to shipwreck the ship. But when I allow Jesus to guide my steps, to tell me where to go, to tell me what to do, that's the only time that I can find life and life more abundantly. This acknowledgement that, that I need more of Him and, and less of me, that is how you enter into the kingdom of God. That is how you enter in, by saying, I can't do it on my own. You can't enter in without that. But guess what? That's, that, that takes me to not have a lot of pride and a lot of ego. And a lot of us struggle a lot with pride and ego and I can do it myself, and I don't, you know, I can, I can do this all on my own, and I can do life on my own, I get clean on my own, I can do my marriage on my own, do my finances on my own. But you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you acknowledge that you are absolutely poor in spirit. The more that we understand our absolute poverty of spirit, the more that God can move in our lives. This requires being humble and teachable. If you know it all, then guess what? You're probably not going to learn much because you already know. If you come in here every Sunday with a full cup and, and you already know it all and, and you're just sitting there ready to critique my message or whatever, try to, you know, catch me misspeaking or something like that or saying something you don't agree with so you get mad and put it on Facebook. Like, if you have, if you have a full cup like that, like, God's not going to move in your life because you already, you're already full. It, it's blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. There's an example of, of a church in the Bible that existed during the first century in Bible times that, that I feel is actually a really good example of how I feel the church is in America. Because I, I, I don't know that the church in America really understands how bad we, we, we need Jesus. Um, there, there's this church, it had a lot of material wealth, but, but, but in its prosperity and its success, it, has be, it became self-sufficient, and it didn't really need Jesus anymore. How many of you know that, that, that churches can get so good at doing church that they don't even need Jesus anymore? And, and that was the church of Laodicea. And, and we know that, that we're going to open our Bibles, we're going to look at it, Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. Some of these churches, they got so much money, they got so much wealth, they don't need Jesus to do church. You know how you can tell? They do the same thing every week, same exact, there, there's one church, I swear, I don't even know how they do it. 
an hour and 15 minutes exactly every week for years. Go and watch. The one time I was watching, I, I just happened to, it popped up on my live. I was watching the message, and, and it felt like, you know, I was looking at the time. The time counter was like 1.13. I'm like, man, the pastor, he's just getting warmed up on his message, man. They might, they might go above 1.15 today. You know that like 114, he was like, all right, we're going to go ahead and we're going to wrap it up right there. And 115, they shut it down. Because it's, it, it's become a business, right? Christians have just been, they're, they're another, they're another uh, niche market that, that, that we can market religious goods and services to. And so the pastor's not on his knees. He's not, he's not asking the Lord what he should preach about. They get together and say, okay, well, how can we get the most butts in our seats? What can we talk about that's going to get the most people in there? But maybe that's not what the Lord's doing in that season. And so it's just this attractional model where, where we bring it in and, and we, we, we try to make this environment so people won't be bothered. They'll be bothered the least. We won't talk about certain subjects. We won't have any expectations on a people's lives in the church. So you can just come. You can feel good that you got your little Jesus stamp. But your life, life doesn't really change. And that's the lukewarm church. And that's the majority of the American church. And I'm not here saying that we have it all together. But I can tell you that I know that I need Jesus. Amen. nothing else, I need Jesus to figure out how to get this place painted. Amen. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, if you want to read along with me, it says, to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, right, these things, says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you're lukewarm, then neither cold nor hot, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. Their works or their actions of their life were lukewarm. They weren't cold and they weren't hot. What does that mean? Well, like coldness, right? Coldness is like, I'm full-blown sinning with no conviction. Like, I'm rolling. Like, I'm just, I'm out on a tear. Like, I'm not even thinking about God. I'm not thinking, like, I'm just, I'm rolling out. That's, I'm totally cold to the things of God. I'm just, I'm just getting it in. But then hot is, man, I'm all in. I'm fully on mission with Jesus Everything is built around my relationship with Christ. The kingdom is first. That's my greatest priority. And everything I do is based around my relationship with Jesus and having that eternal perspective that one day I'm going to stand in front of Jesus and give an account for my life. I'm driven by that. that that's, called, that's called being hot. But, but unfortunately in that church, they were, they were lukewarm. They came to church. They maybe sang some songs, prayed, but when they left, they were just concerned about other stuff. They were lukewarm. Verse 17, 
Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. From all appearances, this church had it all. If you would look from the outside, some Christians today, they, they see how much material wealth that a church has, and they seem to think that that's a measure if God is working there or not. However, you see that this church was materially wealthy, yet in the eyes of God, they were, they were poor because the things that really mattered to God, they didn't have. You know, th did you ever think that maybe the wealthy church wasn't necessarily so blessed by God, it was just in a wealthy area and was just around a bunch of wealthy people? There's not an abundance of people that want to plant churches in the hood. There's not. People like me, but I'm built different. But most people want to go to the suburbs. They want to go to the suburbs. They want to go to a wealthy area. Why? Because there's so much money. And they get a bunch of money and they say, look, see how blessed we are. And because... Most Christians don't have any discernment. They flock there to, well, look how blessed they are. You know? They got, the, they got the big screens, fog machines, and skinny jeans. I just got one today. I'm working on the other two. I just got one, though. We, had, I, we were going to get a fog machine. I was just going to have some of the guys lay down in the front row and vape. That was the best we could do, but they said that was probably a bad idea. Churches, we, we have churches that are run by business people. They're not, they're not run by people who have spiritual discernment. They, they find a person, oh, okay, well, you own a Chick-fil-A or, or you have a successful business. You're going to be on, on, on our board. And, and they, no longer seek, they, they no longer seek the throne room for a word from the Lord. And, and people aren't challenged. And there's an overall appearance of, of wealth. And godliness but it's just that it's just surface but God sees below the surface God sees the heart man looks at outward appearance God looks at the at the heart there was a there was a famous uh, guy a pastor planted hundreds of churches um, has a huge church in Hawaii four-square pastor named Wayne Cordero and 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 he traveled and and he got they said, do you want to minister to the underground church in China? And he said, yeah, I'll go. And, and he got into China and he was led to uh, an apartment that was like on the seventh floor. And it just had wooden floors. And, and he waited there and, and all these people came by train. And some of them came by train for like 13 hours. Because the, the big pastor from America was, was coming to, to speak to them. And... And they sat for three days, for eight hours a day on these wood floors. They had no chairs. They had no, no, no air conditioning. And, and for three days, he sat there and, and he taught them the Bible. And they studied the, the Bible together. And, and many of these people had been in prison for, for, just, for just being Christians in China. And, and he got done with his three days. And, 
And he said to the, to the leader of the group, he said, you know, I'm, I'm going back to America and these have been, you know, really great days for me. How can I be praying for you? And the lady said, look, you know, in America you guys can have your churches, you can meet together whenever you want. Just pray that one day we can become like you. He said, I, I'll never pray that. And the lady was like, why? Why can't you pray that? And he says, you know, you, you, some of you guys rode 13 hours to get here by bus. In my country, if people have to drive more than a half hour, they won't come to church. You guys sat on hard wood floors for eight hours but in my country if I preach longer than 40 minutes people will get up and walk out and never come back because I I teach too long you guys only have a few Bibles so you take them and you you memorize them as quick as you can so that if they take your Bibles that you still have it in your mind and and in your heart and in my country there's multiple Bibles in every house, yet people don't even read them. You guys will willingly go to jail for your faith, but in my country, people won't even be inconvenienced for their faith. He says, I'm not going to pray that you'll become like us. I'm going to pray that in my country, they become like you. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy, me, buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve so that you may see. And, and that word counsel, Jesus is still saying like, let's get together, let's get together, and I have something that that's far more valuable. That's what he's talking about, gold refined in the fire, like the most precious kind of gold. He's like, I have something more precious than, than, than all your worldly wealth, that you won't be just materially wealthy, but you'll actually know true wealth. You'll, you'll know happiness. And, and he said that I'm going to give you white garments because if you continue down that same path, you're going to be exposed. And I can tell you this, that if you have some deep, dark sin in your life that you've been hiding, like God will be patient with you. And He will send people to you. And He will, and he will deal with you. And, and He'll talk to you. But if you won't repent, if you don't quit, then God will expose you. That's a hard way to learn a lesson. But, but He's telling them that, that, that if you just come to me, that, that I'll give you something that, that's more wealthy, that, 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 you're gonna, that I'm going to give you clothes, that you're going to be covered, that you're not going to be exposed. And, and I'm going to give you eye salve because you have trouble seeing in the spirit. You can see in the natural, but you're not seeing the kingdom of God. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne 
as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. You want to know the most amazing thing about this to me? That even though this church was messed up, it was so messed up that Jesus wasn't even in the church. Jesus was outside of the church. Jesus didn't give up on them. He didn't give up on them in that moment. He said, you know what, if you just come back to me, he calls them back in to fellowship. He says, you know, just, just come to me. I'm standing at the door and knocking. All you got to do is let me back in. Let me back in. Realize that all these things that you think that make you uh, prosperous and these things that, that make you great in the eyes of the world aren't great in the kingdom of God. Let me back into your church. And not only does he ask him to let him back in, but he says, I'll give you a reward if you do that. I'll give you an eternal reward. And my question for you is just simply this. What areas do you have in your life that you have yet to surrender to God? What areas have you not fully surrendered to God? What, what have you kept back? What are the things that, that, that you held back from? What are the areas of your life where you think you know better than Jesus? And, and we sit here and say, well, that's ridiculous. But I've heard people say way more than once, I know what the Bible says, but what about this? You know better than Jesus. And we all have these places in our life that are unsurrendered areas. And until we get rid of those and break those strongholds, then God cannot work in our life. I think that just because God called me to be a pastor, I, I learned this lesson early. I, I've told I've told the story before. My my first year of ministry, I mean, it was like a nightmare, man. I, I was looking forward to it. I was like, man, as soon as I start, as soon as I become the pastor, place is gonna blow up. I'm going to preach these awesome sermons. Everybody's going to love me. Wrong. And I had a rough year. I had a rough year. You know, nobody told me that sometimes the sheep bite. And I had a whole flock of biting sheep that I took over. And it was understandable. I mean, the, the pastor that was before me, we were totally different. So... You know, me coming in, young, 35 years old, not knowing half of what I thought I knew. Just coming in like a ball of fire and maybe not tending to things that I should have tended to. Maybe not checking things in my character that I should have checked as, as a pastor. Anyway, it, it didn't matter. It, it, it wound up where I just was overwhelmed. And I mean, long story short, that was the first and only time by the grace of God that I had a panic attack. Pastor having a panic attack. Sitting down by the river in my old Saturn car crying. First of all because I had a Saturn. That was sad. 
that's all I could afford, man. Somebody gave it to me. I mean, that was enough to cry. But I, I'm sitting there, and it was, I was overwhelmed. And it was like, all this time I prepared, and I thought that this was the way that my life was going, and I thought things were going to be great, but I, I just don't have it. People don't like me. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I'm going to do it. I don't have any money. I don't, you know, I, I can't. I, I can't pay a bit. I don't have a worship team. I have like a boom box and I'm playing CDs and, and a PowerPoint. I, I don't, I, why do they have, I don't have, I can't even get anybody to come. And I called, I called my mentor. I said, I don't know what to do. I said, I just, I don't, I don't think I can do this. I said, I, I don't know, somehow I got to get out of this. I don't know. I had such big hopes and dreams in my heart. I thought God really gave me a vision, but I just don't think I'm cut out for this. And he said, you're right. You can't do it. You can't do it on your own. You were never meant to do this in your own strength, in your own ability. He said, never forget this moment. And every time that you feel that you're overwhelmed, you need to get down on your knees because in your weakness, he's made strong. And, and, and when you come to this point that you admit that you can't do it on your own, that's when God's power starts to flow in your life. And then he gave me these encouraging words. He said, do you think that you're, you're still going to pastor? I said, yeah. Said, I, I, I said, I think I understand now. He said, expect to be down by the river crying a few more times before it's over. It's like, wow, thanks for the encouraging words. Because we don't have it in our own strength. You don't have it in your own strength. You don't know how to have a godly marriage in your own strength. You can't handle teenagers in your own strength. You can't get healed in your own strength. You can't get off drugs and alcohol in your own strength. You can't do it. But I got good news. When you admit that I don't have it, then the Bible says that you're blessed at that point. That's where it starts. When you say, you know what? I can't do it without you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I don't, I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I don't have the right abilities to do it. When you know that you are poor in spirit, that you don't have it, that's when God begins to come in and it says that blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. Worship team, if you want to make your way up. And it's not just ministry. Ministry just rapidly broke me. Rapidly. I was on the fast track to brokenness. What will it take for you? You got to be down by the river crying? Or will you just say, Lord, I just, I just know that in my own strength I can't do it. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. I'm going to keep my heart humble 
I'm going to keep it teachable. And if I come to those places where I think I know better, I'm going to put my flesh to death and I'm going to go on your path. Because I know that your way is better. And I know that you love me. And I know that you got a plan for my, my life. And I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I'm going to lean on your understanding. I need more of you and less of me. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. And maybe you're here today and you've never made Jesus your Lord and Savior. Before I close this service, I'd like to think that we're all Christians, but I don't know where you're at with the Lord. You don't get into the kingdom until you acknowledge, Jesus, I need you. And he's standing at the door and he's knocking. The Bible says that we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And there's nothing that you can do to make that up. There's no ladder that you can climb. There's no class that you can take. There's nothing that you can do to work your way up to heaven. You've sinned and the wages of sin is death. But God came down from heaven and he became a man. He lived a life that we could never live a sinless, perfect life. He died the death that we should have died. And now by faith, we apprehend this. And you need to have a time and you need to have a place where you say, yes, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I'm turning it over. I'm turning my sin, my shame, my failures, my brokenness, my, my lack of it, whatever it is, I'm turning it all over to you and I'm giving it to you, Lord. And I'm asking for that new start. And if that's you today, if I could get every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to give you that opportunity today to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. And just to do it, I just want you to do a simple thing and just stick a hand up and say, today I want to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. Is there anybody here today who would want to do that for the very first time? anyone here all right can we all stand to our feet a lot of what I'm gonna be teaching over the next couple weeks it's gonna be counter to everything that you've been taught in the world but I can tell you that if you put these principles in your life you're gonna find happiness Anybody ever see that movie, Pursuit of Happiness, with Will Smith? It's, it's a great movie, but, you know, he's going through all these hard times, and he's trying to study to be, get this job on Wall Street and all this, and he finally gets to this place at the end, and it just closes, and it says, this is what we call happiness. You can achieve that place, but you got to do it God's way. You can't do it your own way. But you can find a peace, you can find a joy. You can, life can be better than you ever thought it could be. I promise you that. And it doesn't matter, you know, it, the, the, the thing about the kingdom of God is the lower that you went, the higher that you can bounce right back up. Yes. God has a specialty in taking people that are the most messed up, that the world counts out 
that, that people think that the world throws away and he'll take them and he'll build them up and he'll sit them on a high place and he'll set a table before you in the presence of your enemies. That's the way, that's, that's our God. Amen? Amen. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would just fill them afresh. Lord, I pray that every stronghold in their life would be broken. Every lie that they believe from the enemy. We break every lie. We pray a sound mind for each and every person. Lord, show us your ways. Show us your path. Show us your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We're going to go out with some praise and worship, but this service is finished. If you need prayer, we'll be out front, but God bless you. Love you guys. So before we end today, I'd just like to thank our God. You know, God has been doing some things on our worship team that we've just been, we've been sitting and waiting, we've been sitting and waiting, and God has been providing for us in different scenarios and different situations. One I can speak of right hand is like, you know, before, about two years ago, we were praying for God to just help us with, with, with our team, for God to just help us uh, just move forward and push forward in his name, you know, and just not and just not get tired and weary. And then God brought along this guy named Evan. And, and when God brought him along, God didn't just bring him, but God brought his favors and his gifts. And, and, and by him, coming to this team, it, it's opened our, our team up to a different horizon and different variety of music. And by him just showing us that, you know, we can worship in ways that we don't have to have our own song or we don't have to speak lyrics or we don't, that we can just worship in a different way. And I just want to thank God for that because he's brought a new vision and a new version of us. He's brought new song. He's brought new wisdom. And, 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 and Something we haven't had as, as a team, never. I can't even say in a while. So we've been writing, we've been creating music, we've been creating songs. Each and every one of us has been pouring out and giving God what he deserves in music and gifts and our talents. And he's just been lifting us all up in favor. And I just want to give him thanks because we didn't have that. And, 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 just, and what Pastor Rick has been talking about is he's saying we didn't have a worship team. And it's like things just started building and things just started creating and things just started moving forward because he, stand, he stood firm on his vision and his goal. He stood firm on the foundation of Christ. And look what God can do when you stay firm on his foundation. He can build. He can restore. He can create new wishes. He can give new promises. He can open up new blessings. He can do all these things by just standing on his course. So there's a song that I wrote, and it's called Provider, and it's just, I just thank God for providing us through every situation and every scenario, you know? Without him, we wouldn't be who we are today. Some of us can look back, 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 and think, wow, how did I get through that situation? But it was nobody but God. Uh, he provided through us through every struggle and every storm. So I just want to thank God for providing a guy like him to our team and, and just allowing us to just flourish in him. And, you know, and, and just bringing his gifts and his, and his talents of, of seeing that we can make new songs. 
right? We had, we had, God had to send somebody to, to knock us out and say, listen, you can make new songs, you can make new music. So I just, I just wanted to say thank you for that and then and, and just give him blessings and thanks to songs that we created for him and only him. We don't, we don't want any acknowledgement. That's why we never state what we do here because it's all Jesus and only him and all of him, all of him. We could do nothing without him.
praise.